0: Ruth 1 and then first uh, John 4 first John 4 man as the Lord was giving me this uh, Thursday I guess it was started Thursday and then Friday I, I kid you not I said this in worship it it was one of those moments it literally as he was just downloading some of this stuff my hand was cramping from just writing 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 and it it uh it felt like just, just fire, electricity just flowing through me. So um, I think this is really what the Lord uh, has for us today. So uh, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some stuff and then we'll go to 1 John. Uh, you and I, this is kind of going off of last week too. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to it, read, watch it. I said read it. Um, you and I are preferred by God. Preferred by God. We are loved not for what we bring to the table, but simply because of who we are. Amen? You and I are preferred by God. Thanks, Julia. Um, He loves us for the pleasure of our company, not the fruit of our works. This is agape love. We have, I believe, I have A difficult time understanding, and even more difficult time receiving and reflecting the love that is God, because we've been inundated with the postmodern idea labeled as love that is actually passive, surface level, self-seeking, and mostly just tolerance. Okay, let me say this one more time. We have a difficult time receiving and reflecting agape love because the love that we've been inundated with in our society is mostly passive, surface level, self-seeking, and mostly just tolerance. Would y'all agree? Okay. We struggle to see Yahweh's unconditional love because all we've ever known primarily is conditional love. This is what this is all we're talking about today. We struggle to see Yahweh's unconditional love because all we've ever known primarily is conditional love. That is love based on conditions. So think back over the relationships that you've had with others in your life in the past. How many relationships have you had, I'm talking friendships, family, you know, whatever, have you had with people who loved you in spite of blank versus how many relationships you have had with those who loved you as long as you blank, right? So, so for me, and I'm going to share my story in a little bit, that is not all, but pr- the primary relationships I've had throughout my life were not in spite of relationships. They were as long as you do relationships, right? The body of Christ was designed to have one love present, and that is agape. But as I said last week, agape love is only known through experience. So we can't love others if we've never experienced and thus known love in the first place. I can't show you agape love if I've never experienced agape love. I'm going to try so hard to not jump ahead in my notes because I'm so excited about this stuff. Our love for others, listen to this, our love for others is reflective. Reflective. It does not originate in us. It is simply reflected through us. So, to reflect love, you must be exposed to the love you long to reflect. Are y'all with me? That's what's missing in today's society. It's not a lack of a longing to love, per se. It's a lack of exposure to the love that we can only reflect, not create. Because God is love, we can only show love through image-bearing the image or reflection of God, who is love. So anything calling itself love— that has its origins in man by definition is not love but hate with a mask on called love so i i feel like my primary calling in life is to be what i call and none, nobody's going to really know what this means but this is just how i label it is to be a theological philosopher that's what I feel like I, my whole life, basically to get people to think right. I feel like my whole mission in life, especially in the South, as much as I love everybody, is to just turn on everybody's thinking. Because most of the time it's psh, turn off and uh, cobwebs. But, you know, I mean, like, because if you really think through this, I, I got a, um, a message, a loving message this week uh, saying uh, God is dead. And I, share, I shared it with Ellington, and I was like, all right. And this is how, this is how I respond to people. If you're going to message me, you're going to get it. All right? I'm going to give you the truth. God is dead. And I was like, okay, let's just, let's just think. If you believe God is dead, that means at some point you believe God was alive. And if you believe God was alive, you have to believe in Scripture because Scripture is where we get original revelation about God. And if you believe in Scripture, you've got to believe Jesus died and rose again. So that breaks down. And then I said, all right, if you fight against evil, or if you even believe evil is in the world, that means you have to believe goodness is in the world, because evil is nothing but the absence of goodness. Goodness is God. Goodness can't be anything apart from God. So goodness is God, and God is goodness. So if you believe in evil, you have to believe in God, because evil is nothing but contrasted against God. And all of it breaks down right? But so, but this is what we do. Th- I mean, this is what we do. I'm I, this, this isn't the first time I've ever gotten this message. So, so that's proof. If we would just boop, click it on and start thinking this, this isn't something. Here's the thing. People think scripture and faith, especially faith. People think faith is blind. In other words, Nothing in Christianity makes sense, so I'm going to close my eyes and close my ears and just keep believing and hope at some point it works out. That's that's really what we believe. This is proven. I have no issue debating history, no issue debating philosophy, no issue debating theology because this never breaks down. The book of Genesis is the oldest historical writing we have in human history. So it's not just the Word of God, which it is. It's the first account of man, historical. So we have to start seeing this stuff as not just some abstract idea that we believe in because we grew up thinking, oh, you got to go to church because you live in the South. That's not what this is. This is life. So for us to approach—man, see, I'm already 10 miles away. But for us to approach the gospel, this is what's been burning in me lately, is that in 2020— And I keep saying this because I'm trying to wake people up. One-third of the church has disengaged from the church. One-third of Christians in 2020 have completely disconnected from the church, mostly because the church was closed. One-third. That's a lot, which tells me two things. Number one, they were never in in the first place, because if a pandemic causes you to disconnect from the church, you were never in the church. Number one. Number two, if you were, you weren't in it for Jesus. Because Jesus isn't in a building. But you need to be in the building. Okay. The body's in the building. All right. People take that and never come to church again. All right. Flesh, flesh. So man without God, flesh is only capable of producing hate. Okay, if you go back, I'm not going to go back there. If you go to 1 John 3 and 10, John literally says the way we separate ourselves as believers from those who are the sons of Satan are that we love, which means the sons of Satan hate, right? So the only thing that flesh without God is capable of producing is hate. Why? Not just because of that, but because of what we're about to read, that God is love, god is love right so if you are an unbeliever and you're trying to love it'll never work out the best you can do is pretend right because god is love you don't believe in god you don't believe in love because god is love are you with me so so all see how all this breaks down in fact, there's the, the widespread thing going on right now is how could I don't believe in God anymore because how could a loving God do X, Y, and Z? So the argument against God is an argument for love. Ironically, God and love are not separated. So it's not love that you're arguing against. It's actually hate that you've masked as love. So this, so this is what I think about at 3 a.m. at night. Okay. Where his image is lacking, you'll find a huge influx of masks. Ironically, I know everybody's required to wear a mask. I think that's maybe prophetic, but we'll see one day. Where his image is lacking, you'll find a huge influx of pretenders. Presence in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there is no word for presence. 100% of the time, it's the word face. In the Hebrew, there isn't a word for presence. It's the word face. So anytime in your Old Old Testament scripture, if you read and it says something about God's presence, mark it out and write face, because there is no Hebrew word for for presence, okay? So asking for the presence of God is actually asking for, For his face or image to be seen. So where presence is lacking, his image is lacking. And where his image is lacking, there can only be pretending. Are y'all with me? The world is crying out for love. The world is crying out for love. What their soul is really crying out for is Yahweh. For Yahweh is love. Our job as believers is not to produce. Our job as believers is to reflect. Reflection is a natural law. If a sum of matter has aligned itself to be reflective in nature, so let's say water, for example, it is always reflecting whatever it's exposed to. So water can't do anything but reflect, right? You can take any image you want, and as soon as you place it over water, what happens? You get a reflection. Because the characteristics of the DNA of water is to reflect, Man, in the same way in our DNA, is incapable or incapable of producing an image. Why? Because we weren't designed to be originators of an image. We were designed to be reflectors of an image. So the only thing we can ever do is reflect an image. And you'll only ever reflect what you're exposed to. Prove it, all right? When Jesus... When God, I won't mess with y'all too much. Um, I believe, scholars believe Jesus actually spoke the words in Genesis. It doesn't really matter, I guess, at the end of the day. But when God creates man and breathes into his nostrils, he says, we have made man in what? Our image and likeness. He could have made man to be an individual image and likeness, but he didn't. He made man to be the image and likeness of another God in this case. And when they sinned, they started taking on the image and likeness of sin. Right? And so all throughout history, all that man has been able to, re- to do is reflect, 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 because that's what's in our DNA. So for us to cry out for the face, presence of God to be in a room is really what our soul is crying out to is for his face to be present in a room so that we can gaze into it and then begin to reflect it like we were designed to do. What is our original intent as man? As human beings, what is our original intent? To bear the image of who? Not you, God. Right? So people will hear this language and be like, you know, oh, so you think you're, you're God. No, 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 no. But I do reflect God. So when you see me, you should see him. Right? When you see me, you shouldn't see Josh. When you see me, you should see Jesus within Josh. So why do we love? Because God is love. So every time you love your neighbor as yourself, what you're actually doing is reflecting the image of God who is love. Are y'all with me? I know, I know this is a ton. I know this is a ton. <clears throat> so the world is crying out for love. What they're really crying out for is Yahweh. Um, the major key to loving, the major key to loving is consistent exposure to the one who is love, Yahweh. Let me give you an example. How do you act differently when you haven't spent time with the Lord? When you Let's say you've gone a week and you haven't touched your Bible, you haven't prayed, because let's all be real, that happens. So let's say you go a week or a month, Lord, or please, a year, hope hope not, and don't spend any time with the Lord. All of a sudden you start getting irritated. You start getting mad easier. You start hating people. You start calling people names behind their back. Am I right? Right? And then you suddenly don't really want to go to church anymore. And then you suddenly think, man, I could use that tide to buy a new car. That's, that's a car payment right there. And then you, 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 know, you see how this breaks down? And where is it all rooted? It's all rooted, in you haven't spent time with the Lord. Why is it rooted like that? Because you can only reflect an image you're exposed to. So if you're not exposed to Jesus consistently, then what are you exposed to consistently? The world. And if you're exposed consistently to the world, what are you going to start looking like? The world, right? So, and this is why church services being about anything but Jesus is so dangerous because not only are you dealing with one person individually in their secret place, when you get in the church service, you're dealing with tons of people and the entire body of Christ. So when you get in the church and it's about anything except one thing, all of a sudden you start mass reflecting an image that you were not designed to reflect. Right? So if you've got a thousand people packed in a room or 10,000 or 20 in a room and it's about anything other than him getting the reward for his suffering, the image we're reflecting as a room, 5,000, 1,000 or 20 is the world. So when the church closed, you had one third of people saying, man, my life doesn't look any different. Why do I even go to church in the first place? I've had conversations with people that say that. I thought when the church closed, it would, but I haven't really felt any different. In fact, I felt pretty free. That's what I've heard. Right? You know why? It was never about, if it was about Jesus, the minute the doors were locked, something within you would start just, just jerking and shaking. You can, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because we can do a lot online, and that's great. But there's something about when we come together and two or more are gathered in his name, and he shows up in the midst, and we begin to do what we just did in worship. That is not the same as watching on a computer screen. And if you're watching on a computer screen, listen, we bless you, and I know there's people with pre-existing conditions, and that's not what I'm talking about at all. But I'm talking about this mindset of I don't have to be in the room because I can do it just as well at home. And if that's the mindset, it's wrong. And I bless you with that. 1 John 4, 3, or excuse me, 7 through 13. 1 John 4, 7 through 13. 1 John 4, 7 through 13. Here we go. Those who are loved by God, those who are loved by God, so we speak in two believers, let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God for God is love. The light of God's love shone within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. I I wept over that verse this week. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. You hear this image? It was his love, not ours. He proved it. By sending his son to be the pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such a tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life no one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its fullest expression in us. And he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we may live in him. That, that is unbelievable. But this starts out with the word let. In some of your Bibles, it might say let us. But the Greek word there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a uh, permissional word. So in other words, when it says let us or let his love, it's a word that means you're letting him do something through you. That's what the word means, okay? So I think it's really interesting that this whole section starts with the word let. Just, and it reminded me of the book of Song of Songs. The first thing we hear from the Shulamite woman in the book of Song of Songs is, let him smother me with kisses. I spent a whole week on that phrase, let him, a few like way back in the beginning of this year. Let. It's the word agapeo. That word, let us love, or let his love, is the word agapeo. Yes, it sounds very familiar to agape because it's related which means which means to prefer or do what god prefers as it relates to showing love for which god is that's what the word means so the word let denotes effortlessness you don't simply let someone do something through you typically Typically, you work and work and work to accomplish that something. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is letting the image be reflected through you, not trying to produce an image on your own. So love is a secondary consequence of son and daughtership and intimacy. It's a fruit of, of who you are, it is effortless. Effortless. Let his love pour from you to one another because God is love. And everyone who loves, or I would say even, everyone who lets love flow through him is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. Okay, so son and daughtership and intimacy create the foundation needed to reflect love into whatever situation you're in. And then in verse 10, John brings it around and says, this is love, this is how we know love, because he loved us long before we loved him. And by this, his love is proven to be, and this is what we're gonna talk about most of the day. By this, his love is proven to be, Conditionless or unconditional because he agape, which is prefer, he preferred us in love even when we lived rejecting him. This is love. So John goes through 1 John 3, 1 John 4, and John pauses and says, y'all know when I'm talking about giving love, this is the love I'm talking about. That He loved us way before we ever loved Him back, and then verse eleven is a call to reflect this: He loved us long before we loved Him. I want to I want to share something before we go to Ruth, but we're about to go to Ruth. Um, you know, I was having this conversation with uh, my wife, and I even I think I talked to Ellington a little bit about it. Um, but my whole life, let me just be vulnerable for a second, because I think some people are going to relate to this. My whole life, um, everything I do, I try to be the best at everything I do. Right? So when I played, I played football back in the day, I know you wouldn't be able to tell it now, but, uh, I played football back in the day and it wasn't enough for me to just play football and have fun. I was going to play football and at minimum make it to division one football in college. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just like and and hopefully the NFL. So I it wasn't just let's play football for fun. It was I'm gonna bust it and bust it and bust it and be the best wide receiver there's ever lived. You know? And then broke my rib and decided not to do that. So then I moved over to music. It wasn't enough for me to just know how to play drums. I needed to know every instrument fluently, all the number system, how to sing and play all the instruments, et cetera, because I was going to be the best musician there ever was. That's, my, that's just been my mindset my whole life. And so um, when, when it came to worship, it wasn't enough just to lead worship back in the day. Not now. It wasn't enough. It was, I've got to be the best worship leader that's ever hit a stage on earth. You know what i'm saying so i worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing except except this church has been a massive blessing to me in so many different ways but primarily this church has been a blessing for me because it obliterated my idea that i was going to be famous ever i mean you know what i'm saying huge blessing right because when you're when you're standing in front of thousands and thousands of people you, you start thinking you are what you are not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when you're 22 years old and you're sitting in front of thousands of people leading worship, it's, it, it messes with you. And so I had in my mind I was going to be famous. I'm gonna be famous, and at the root of everything I did, whether it be football, whether it be music, whether it be worship leading, whether it be anything else, my whole root system was I've got to be famous. So why do I need to be the best football player? Because I got to be famous. Why do I want to be the best musician? Because I want to be famous. And the Lord, some I, some of y'all might be feeling that right now, because I think that's a real big thing in our society, especially with social media. It It'll be viral. Ironically, viral sounds a lot like virus. But anyway, <laughs> tweet that. Um, so coming into this church, the Lord dealt with my mindset that I've got to be famous. I don't care about being famous, obviously, right? does It doesn't bother me anymore. But this week, as the Lord was uh, walking me through some of this stuff about unconditional love and conditional love, I realized I let him deal with with the mindset of needing to be famous, I never let him go one step lower and start dealing with why I ever felt like I had to be famous in the first place. And so as I'm walking through some of this stuff, I start going back. And I I don't, if the Lord tells you to do this, do it. If not, I wouldn't encourage this. But I, I start going back in my life and through friendships and people who I thought were close with me and all that stuff, the consistent theme was because I was proficient in most of the stuff I did, people were friends with me mostly for what I could give rather than just because they liked being friends with me this is my past I don't know about y'all and um and so looking back I don't have any close friends that I grew up with none I can tell you one i don't I don't have any people that I can like you know hit up and be like hey you remember when we hung out you know at in eighth grade and we you know, knocked over a mill or whatever else people did back then, number one, I wasn't allowed to ever do anything like that. So that's number one, the reason why. But number two, and I thank my parents for that if they're watching for this because I would have done awful things. Um, but number two, it was because every relationship I had was built on what I did. Right? And as soon as what I did became um, less in value, I wasn't needed anymore. And so I went through my whole life with this deep-rooted idea that the only love that was accessible was a love based on works. Which is then when I started reflecting it toward God and said, you only love me for what I can give you. You only love me for what I can do. And the minute that that stops being as good as it was earlier, you're going to throw me away because you're not going to need me anymore. It was a arm's distance love. And so five years ago, I keep saying five years ago. It's really been more like six, I guess, years ago now. Um, six years ago, when the Lord showed up to me in an encounter that has not ended, and he began to tell me how much he thought of me and how he actually viewed me, and who I actually was, it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever been through in my life because I've never let anybody close. And he didn't want to just be close, he wanted deep close. And so it started rewiring my brain, which is why I cry almost every single Sunday in worship. Some of y'all wonder why. It's like, man, that, that dude cries. I never six years ago I didn't cry at anything. I never used to cry. Now, I cry every day. And it's because that love, I've never in my life had somebody look me in the eyes and say, I just love you for you. And six years ago, Jesus in my dining room, I guess breakfast room you would call it back then, looked at me and said, I love you just for you. And it rocked my world. But I have reflected over my life a conditional love because conditional love is all I've ever received. Primarily, not not 100% of the time. And I think what a lot of us see is that in the world around us, the love that most people give and the love that most people receive is a conditional love. We won't say that, but typically we love people based on what they can benefit us. Right? So you'll love people that have money, and you'll love people that have the job that you really want to have, and you'll love people that have all the connections you want to have, but we won't love people that have nothing to offer us. Right? I mean, to be honest, this is the root of all the race stuff going on right now. This is it. Did you know there's two definitions, and I have purposely not shared one of them until this point. There's two definitions of agape love. It's preferential love, so love based on preference. And do you know the second definition? Unconditional love. So let's go go to Ruth 1. I didn't mean to make it dark for a second, Um, but I felt the Lord told, told me to share that because I think some people are really dealing with that. So I'm I'm, I'm going to read through Ruth 1, and I'm, I'm reading it through a printout, because like I said, this is, hasn't come out yet. But um, NLT is real close to this, but this is the Passion Translation of Ruth. And um, so if you look at it through the Bible app or whatever, it's, it's not on there yet. Um, but anyway, so Ruth 1, chapter 1, here we go. During the era when champion deliverers ruled in Israel, a severe famine overtook the land. Elimelech, a man of importance, left Bethlehem and immigrated to the country of Moab. He took with him his wife Naomi and their two sons Mahalon and Shilion. They belonged to the clan of Ephrath from Bethlehem in Judah. While residing in Moab, Elimelech died and left his widow, Naomi, alone with her two sons. Okay? This stuff right here is important, so just, just rock with me for a minute. The two sons both married Moabite women. It's a big note. Both married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. About ten years later, Mahalan and Chilion also died and left Naomi all alone, without a husband or sons. Sometime later, Naomi heard that Yahweh had visited his people and blessed them with an abundant harvest. So she decided to leave Moab with her daughters-in-law, with Orpah and Ruth at her side. Naomi began her journey to return to the land of Judah. But soon Naomi said to them, Each of you, this is massive right here. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home, which is Moab. May Yahweh show his loyal love and kindness to you, the same loyal love and kindness you've shown me and to those who have died. And may Yahweh give you another husband and cause you to find rest in a happy home. Then Naomi tenderly embraced Orpah and Ruth and kissed them goodbye. But they wailed and sobbed. Through their tears, they, so both of them initially right here, through their tears said to her, no, we want to go with you and be with you and go to your people. Okay? Both initially said, we want to be with you and go with you to your people. My daughters, you must go back, Naomi answered. Why do you want to come with me? Now listen to what she says right here. Do you think I could have sons again to give you new husbands? Turn around, my daughters, and go back home, for I'm too old to marry again. Even if I thought there was still hope for me and married today and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they had grown up? Should you live for so many years without husbands? No, my daughters, you must not return with me. My life is too bitter for you to share it with me because Yahweh has brought calamity to my life. Yahweh has brought calamity to my life. When they heard, listen, listen to how this changes right here. When they heard Naomi's words, Orpah and Ruth wailed and sobbed again. Then Orpah embraced and kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went back home. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi and refused to let her go. Naomi said, Ruth, listen. Your sister-in-law is going back to Moab to her people and to her gods. Now go with her. But tearfully, Ruth insisted, please don't ask me again to leave you. I want to go with you and stay with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will now be my people. And your God will now be my God. Wherever you die, I will die there too. And where your people bury me next to you. That is where your people will bury me next to you. Nothing but death itself will separate me from you. So help me God. When Naomi realized that Ruth's heart was set on going with her, she said nothing more. We'll wrap up the chapter. Naomi and Ruth traveled together from Moab until they came to Bethlehem. The entire town was buzzing. Bethlehem sounds familiar on purpose, by the way. The entire town was buzzing when they heard they had arrived. Astounded, the women of the town said to one another, is this really Naomi who left us so long ago? Now listen to Naomi. Naomi said, please don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant anymore. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, because God Almighty has dealt me a bitter blow. When I left here, my heart was full and content with my family, but Yahweh has brought me back empty and destitute. There's that word, Kyle. Why call me by my name Pleasant when Yahweh has opposed me And Almighty God has brought me so much trouble. So Naomi returned to her village with Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. They arrived in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest had begun. If you've never read the book of Ruth, you need to. We're going to finish it, not today, but throughout the next few weeks as we go into Romans 8. I haven't forgotten about Romans 8. Naomi, which means pleasant, is the wife of Elimelech, which means my God is king. And they are from Bethlehem. Okay. They have two sons, Mahalon and Chilion. Mahalon means ill, worn out, afflicted, and wounded. And Chilion, the other son, means destruction and consumption. So they leave Israel because of a famine to go to Moab. Ironically, Bethlehem is called the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. So they leave the house of bread because of a famine and go to Moab. Moab is the son of Lot's incestuous, incestuous, I should say, relationship with his daughter. If you go back to Genesis 19. And then, of course, look ahead to Leviticus 18 and 20. Uh, Lot has an incestuous son, U.S., incestuous That's a really weird word, um, son with his daughter. They get him drunk. There's a whole story. Go back to Genesis 1930, if you want to read that. Moab comes from that encounter, okay? The Moabites. So they go to the land of Moab. Moab was seen as an enemy to the Israelites and cursed from pos- prospering within the Israelite community, which is Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. So famine, famine causes the seed of Judah to leave Israel and go into Moab where two Moabite women or two foreigners of God would find access to covenant. Are y'all with me? I, I know this is a lot. I need everybody to stay awake. This is huge. Okay. So Mahalan, the firstborn, marries Ruth, marries Ruth, and Chileon the second marries Orpah okay. Orpah and Ruth become two symbolic figures in the church. You ready for this? This is what all this led to. One broke covenant when it seemed the benefits of the relationship ran out. The son's dying the other went deeper into covenant despite whatever benefits were available. One was there for what she would get. One was there for what she would give. Our willingness to love unconditionally, our unwillingness, I should say, to love unconditionally has caused a culture of ones who originally had access breaking covenant with mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers when it seems their benefits have ran out. That we let me. I just got to say this again. We have a culture of orpas who at one point had access to the family of God had access and encounters with the family of God. But when that access seemed, seemed, and we're about to see this, when it seemed to lose its value, immediately she broke covenant and went back to other what? Gods. Ruth, in the moment where it seemed like it became lower in value, said, I'm not here for what you can give me. I'm actually here for what I can give you. So it doesn't matter what sons you can raise up for me. I'll die where you die. I'll live where you live. I'll go where you go. And only death will be able to separate us. Now, what if we had a bunch of churches that were filled with people that could look around the room and say, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. And where you die, I'll die. I'm serious, because we don't have that. We have people that say, if you don't play the right music, we're leaving. Right? If you don't preach on the stuff we want you to preach on, we're leaving. And so a lot of pastors are slaves to primarily big givers in their churches. Slaves. Because if you don't preach what we want you to preach, we ain't giving. I mean, y'all think I'm crazy. This is what happens in most churches today. You don't preach what I preach, what you, what I want you to preach, we're not going to give. If you don't play the songs we don't want you to uh, sing, that we want you to sing, we're not going to give. If you don't build the family life center that we think we need to build, we're not going to give. I, I go down the line, right? And so you have Orpas who are saying, as long as it benefits me, I'm with you. But the minute it stops benefiting me, bye. I'm going to go home and find another person. This is this is conditional love. Right? Conditional love. As long as I'm receiving, it's great. The minute I stop receiving, I don't need you anymore. Sometimes I got 3 stars beside this note, so you should probably listen to this one. Sometimes oh man. Sometimes Yahweh will send a group of people through famines just to see who is committed to covenant and who is in it for themselves. All right, let me say it one more time. Sometimes Yahweh will send a group of people through famines just to see who is committed to covenant and who is in it for themselves. Hello, 2020. Right? Because let me tell you one thing we're going to know at the end of this year. Who's in this for real and who didn't care? By the end of 2020, I promise you, we're going to find the real ones. Actually, I haven't shared this yet. The Lord gave me a word three weeks ago, three weeks ago that he told me to share and I actually forgot about it. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me. Let me share this word for you, though. This this is right in line with what, where we are. He said there are three groups of people in my church today in America. There are the lost, And went by church, you know, just the body of Christ, the people. There are the lost who are completely lost. There are the pretenders, and then there are the authentic ones. And here's what he showed me, that over the next three years, over the next three years, and I don't share words like this a lot. Actually, this may be one of the rare times I have. Over the next three years, He's going to pour, this is the exact wording he gave me, pour out the full cup of his justice on all of his people. And the authentic ones should rejoice. Because what he actually is desiring to do is over the next three years, call all the authentic ones to the places of influence. And I'm not talking about fame. I'm talking about to the place where we're actually to call nations and we're calling cities and calling sicknesses and calling hurricanes back into their design and they listen. But he's, God, if you haven't been able to tell this, wake up. He is on a project right now of finding the authentic remnant in the earth so that he can do what he's always wanted to do, which is build his kingdom. He never desired to build America. He desired to build his kingdom in America. The minute we got off is thinking that his kingdom and democracy and American Republicanship is the kingdom. And it ain't. This isn't a political thing. Democrats aren't either. But what I'm saying is, is the kingdom doesn't belong to a party. It sure don't belong to a president. And it sure don't belong to any other institution except the church. So when we lock the church up, there is no order of the kingdom within America. And America starts spinning in chaos. Why? Because we're not showing up. When I played football, we, we were really good. My team was. And uh, we used to play teams around us that were terrible, and um, and we used to make phrase we used to say things like the only way we could lose this game is if we didn't show up, right? Like, man, the only way we could lose this game is if we just stayed home. All right, believers, the only way we can lose this is if we don't show up. That's it. The only outcome in this whole thing. Where the enemy gets any ounce of victory is if believers sit on their behinds. So while you could and should apply this Ruth and Orpa thing to the church, this principle, principally, remains true in every covenantal relationship. So do you love for what they do for you Or do you love for who they are and what you can do for them? In in every relationship in your life, every one of them, high or low, my wife, do I love my wife because of what she does for me? Or do I love my, my wife because I prefer her and for what I can do for her? Because in that situation, there's nothing she could do to ever lose my love. Why? Because it's not based on what she does. Therefore, she can't lose it. She didn't earn it. I gave it to her freely. Are y'all seeing this? So there's in, in Christ, there's nothing you can do to lose it except for totally denying it. That's it. But the minute you accept it, it's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are because he prefers you. Are, are y'all, y'all hearing this stuff? Man, maybe I'm the only one. This is awesome. Luke 3, 631. Luke 631 says, treat others as you want to be treated. The golden rule. It's amazing how many people use the golden rule that don't live in the golden rule. Myself included sometimes. Treat others as you want to be treated. He did not say that you'd be treated like that. He said you are to treat others as you want to be treated. He didn't promise you'd be treated like that. So, so we said, I'm going to treat others as I want to be treated, but I'm going to expect to be treated the same way in return. No, 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 no. He said you treat others as you want to be treated, even if you're hanging on a cross upside down. If you're Christ Jesus on a cross, the people who had just nailed your hands and feet into a cross, you look at them and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? In that moment, he treated those around him like he desired to be treated. Let me mess with you a little bit more. Mark 10, go to Mark 10 if you want to. If not, I'm about to read it so you don't necessarily have to. Mark 10, listen to what Jesus says. You ready for this? Starting in verse uh, 43, he says, you are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the son of man... Did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. The son of man did not come to be served, though he had every valid excuse to be served. He was the son of man. The son of God did not come into the world to be served, but to serve everyone. If that was the standard for Jesus, I promise you it's the standard for us. Jesus said, you're going to lead differently. Everybody around you leads by oppressing people and making it seem like they're on top of the world. But let me tell you how you're going to lead. You're going to lead by being the lowest and serving everybody. So Jesus starts washing people's feet. And that's why Peter's like, wait, hold up. You ain't washing my feet. Why? Because this is the Son of God, this is God in flesh, starting to wash their nasty feet. I mean, you, you think about this. And Peter says, "No, I'll wash your feet. You ain't washing mine, right?" And then later it gets a little weird. He's like, are well, you're going to do that, just go ahead and bathe me up top head to toe." But you know, right? But the point is, is that Jesus came into the earth to offer a new way of leadership. His way of leadership wasn't top down. It was actually bottom up. I, I know this is simple. We don't got the simple stuff. We, learn, we love by serving, not by being served. So do you view church as a place to serve or to be served? I'm not talking about Volunteering. I guess it works. Do you view the church as a place to serve or be served? Do you view marriage as a place to serve or be served? Do you view your friendships as a place to serve or be served? Do you, listen, do you view leadership and people above you as those who who you are to serve or to be served by? This is loving your neighbor as yourself. Th- this, this is, I, see, we We walk by people all the time and subconsciously or consciously look at them and say, I'm better than them, which is exactly why we normally don't show love to people, right? Jesus is offering a model where instead of pastors being on the very, 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 very tip top and everybody serving them, what if we get, get to the place where the top of the top is actually the low of the low in the church? And I ain't talking about economy. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what if me as a pastor, I could get to the place where instead of using people as pawns to make my name higher, instead I was the steps for you to go higher on. What, what would happen in the church? Instead of me pretending like I'm the only one with revelation, what if I could get to the place where I understand every single one of you have just as much of a revelation as I do, and it is an imperative part of the body for you to deliver it? What if we could get to that place? So, we as a church aren't the biggest church in Columbia. We're probably not even the biggest church on this block. Right? But this is why I say it doesn't matter. Because the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I think think we need to get comfortable in this place. I mean, I'm serious. Because I think the Lord, the Lord is going to send people, and he's going to—one um, day we're not going to be this small. We're just not, because the kingdom grows. But I believe what he's doing in us right now is getting us so trained, almost like a dog. Just you do, you do things a certain way for so long, and they just naturally do it. They don't know any other way, right? He's getting us so trained in just loving people, in serving people, and not being easily offended, and not breaking covenant with benefits run out, etc., so that when we do have that group of people coming, we're not having to retrain a thousand people on how to live in Christianity. They're coming into a community that's living in Christianity. Naomi had less, at this point, less than she's ever had and was in the lowest place she had ever been in. But she had Ruth, who refused to be untethered from her. Do you know what happens? We're going to finish this later. Do you know what happens later in the book of Ruth? You're like, no, nah, I didn't even know Ruth was in the Bible. Um, here's what happens later later in the book of Ruth, okay? Later on in the book, she meets Boaz, who becomes her kinsman redeemer, which scripture calls Jesus as well. Ruth meets Boaz, who becomes her kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk about this in two weeks. They have a baby named Obed, who becomes the grandfather of David. Ruth is David's great-grandmother. And in Matthew 1, in Matthew 1, Ruth is listed in Jesus' genealogy. This isn't the book of Boaz. This isn't the book of Naomi. It's the book of Ruth. Why? Because one decision to love unconditionally led her to an encounter with a kinsman redeemer that through covenant and intimacy was going to give birth to the seed of Jesus Christ himself. Matt, come up here. Can you play? Just turn it down just a little bit if you don't mind. We never hear one more peep the rest of scripture about Orpah. Never. We don't hear one more thing about her. I believe she could have been just as big of an influence and had just as big of an impact on history as Ruth had she valued covenant over what she could get. Conditional love will cause you to make decisions based on situations rather than truth. Think about this ruth is a foreigner did you know if you read in deuteronomy 23 3-6 i was going to read this today but i'm gonna save us some time if you read that it states that the israelites were not to marry the moabites and that their descendants were never to be welcomed into the people of god did you not know? in deuteronomy 23 the reason is is because when israel was coming out of egypt when they were coming out of egypt the Moabites refused to help them. And so in response to the Moabites refusing to help them, the Lord gives in Deuteronomy 23, three through six, the command that the Israelites were not to marry the Moabites and their descendants were never to be welcomed into the family of God ever. Think about this. This was illegal to the covenant to the Torah for the Moabite Ruth to not just come into the family of God and live, but she comes into the family of God and becomes the great grandmother of David. What shifted? I believe this is what shifted. When Naomi had nothing, sons died her husband dies and she looks at two sisters who are moabites who know nothing about yahweh except for what they've encountered with these with this family and she looks at them and says i've got nothing to give you you should just go ahead and go home i have nothing to give you anymore so you might as well go home one of them says you're right and goes home and the other one says Do not ask me again. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die there too. They'll bury me next to you. Nothing but death itself will separate me from you. So help me, God. That decision led her into a field. During harvest where she meets Boaz, who becomes a kinsman redeemer and by becoming the kinsman redeemer they are required by law to have a son to carry the inheritance in the name of mahalan on they have the son the son becomes the grandpa of david and david becomes the one that the christ is called the son of This whole unconditional love stuff is not just a good slogan. It's not just something we need to do. It's not just something that's a good idea. You loving someone unconditionally might give you access to something that shifts the cosmos in history. That decision by Ruth probably didn't seem very significant. Naomi, when they come back to Israel, Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. For Yahweh has completely turned against me. And at the end of the book of Ruth, the people in the town go back to Naomi and they say, Naomi, see, the Lord didn't forget about you. As he's holding, she is holding Obed in her hands. They say, see, you thought he turned against you, but he had good in mind. How? How? Because he had a foreigner, Ruth, show you what no one else within the own family of God would show you, which is unconditional love. So I'm going to say two things. Number one, maybe you don't know what unconditional love is because you've never experienced it. Maybe your family has never given it to you. Maybe friends have never given it to you. Maybe in your marriage, you've never experienced it. I'm telling you today, Yahweh wants to come in and fill the gap and show you what it means to be loved unconditionally. And show you. Maybe all you've ever known is a love based on works which is why the church is so adamant about making God's love about works. It's not about works. You couldn't earn it even if you tried, right? It's about what he sees you as. He put eternity on the heart of every man. Psalm says he knit every single human being together in their mother's womb. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. So maybe you've never known what unconditional love is. I believe Yahweh wants to show you what that means. But then number two, I want to encourage, we've got to be a people of that kind of love. There are four main, six, I guess, if you include some other ones, but four main Greek words for love. But the only Greek word that is used in relation to God in us is agape. That's the only one in all the New Testament. So all the other loves are rooted in the divine love, agape. So you can't have eros, which is intimate love, unless it's rooted in agape, which is preferential love. You see me? So we've got to be a church that takes the posture of serving others. And as we begin to take the posture of serving others, we're going to start to love others as ourselves. And as we start to love others as ourselves, we're going to accurately reflect the image we were always designed to reflect. And as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he's going to begin to exalt us. This is what scripture says. He said, pride comes before the fall. But then we get the other scripture that says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he will exalt you. So pride can only get you fall, but humility can only get you exultation. That's a big word. Felt good saying it. (laughs) Let me pray, let me pray. Yahweh, I thank you for this. Lord, I thank you for this family. I thank you for this group of people. God, I pray that you would show us places in our lives where we are loving conditionally, myself included. You've already started the process in me. Would you cut out of us any ounce of love within us that is conditional? And would you make us people that when we find covenant, we never allow ourselves to become untethered from it, ever. Let us be people that we love people in the sense of where you go, I'll go. Because that's how you are. I believe there are some Davids in the womb of people in the bride of Christ right now. And the only thing it's going to take to unlock it is unconditional love. God, give us freedom. Yahweh, show those who have never experienced this kind of love like you showed me six years ago. I squirmed. I tried to get on social media to get away from it because it was so uncomfortable but you didn't stop. Show that to us. Let us have encounters upon encounters upon encounters until it not only becomes comfortable, it becomes the way of life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all.